Hi there. My name is Preston Puto. Welcome to the Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. This is where we share some of our messages from Sunday mornings. So we're glad you're here to listen. We'd love for you to join us in person. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. At our core, we're a community of people. So we gather on Sundays, but we also do a lot in the week together. We are people learning to follow Jesus and love our city. So to learn more, visit lakeridgecommunity.com. Hope to check in and visit with you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. So we are, so my general theme for this year is to take a look at what it is to have this one and beautiful life. You have one life. We're going to unpack what it is to have one life. And it's one life because it doesn't actually end when you die. There's something eternal about this life. And a life in Christ somehow lives on. There is something about this life that is more than we see in front of us. And so we are going to dig into what it is to live a life that is, that is rich and meaningful. Timothy, he says, take hold of the life that is truly life. I am hopeful that in this journey together that we will take a look at what it is to carry this life. And that your uh, joining into this life of this community, it will cost you something. Anytime you join with Jesus, he asks you of something. Uh, anytime you join in a community, there's something that's painful. There's something that's joyful. There's something that might die in you, and there's something that might grow. There's a lot that happens when we step into the life of Jesus. And we know this because every single person that Jesus invited to join as his disciple was transformed into the likeness of Christ. Something happened there. And we believe this is the place where this is going to happen in us too. And so this is a year of big discovery for us as we go down this road. And I'm going to unpack a little bit more of what this means. Hey, I don't know if you noticed, but there's an art show at the back. I love visual art. I love uh, exploring imagery. And so we're going to be doing this. We've, we've had local artists here. I bring in other things. And we're going to be doing this throughout the year to kind of help make some points about this. And so at the back, uh, this is art. It's called 10-1 by a fellow, by a photographer named Bogdan Gerbrovran. And I think he's from, um, I think that he's Russian. And what he did was he went to apartment building... <laughs> And, he, and everybody in these apartment buildings had the same apartment layout, right? And he went into 10 different apartments and just took a photo of what it looks like in their apartment. And there's 10 very different apartments, right? 10 people, 10 very different apartments, even though it's the same box that they are in. And when I started to see this, and I came across this some time ago, I was like, wow, doesn't this really reflect what Jesus does with us? What God, when he made us, he steps us in, we breathe the same air, we drink the same water, uh, we are even given very similar bodies in a long ways, and we step into this world and go. (laughs) Do something, make something, or don't, it's up to you, here we go. You are given this one and beautiful life, and right out of the gate, you, sometimes circumstances you can change, sometimes ones that are given to you that, that are out of your control, but you step into it. And, we, and sometimes it's not until you're 95 that you realize, boy, I should have probably, I should have probably thought this through, <laughs> right? I should have probably built a plan, but it's not usually until some part in when you start to realize that there's something going on here called you have this life. And you have one life. How do we live it? At some point, a number of us start to 
wonder if God is doing something with us. Same human, different responses to our places. How are you going to live this beautiful life? If you were found today, what would you be found doing with your life? (laughs) Jesus often tells stories of saying that God will come to you like a thief in the night. (laughs) When you least expect it, he's going to come in and say, hey, what have you been up to? (laughs) Jesus tells these stories. I don't think he tells these stories to shame us, to go, yeah, you know, I was was really hoping to have this big career, but I guess I only got this far, (laughs) right? I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about at all. To get a sense of it, we have to go back to the scripture that we read here. We get the story of Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and they're given this one in beautiful life, right? They are given paradise, as we understand it. But there's some risks to it. They can still drown. They can still get stung by some crazy insect. And in this case, they can still eat from this fruit, that they sh- this, from this mysterious tree. God said, don't touch that, you'll, you'll die if you touch that too, but it'll be like, it'll be something major. And so they do, they take a bite of this, and it says this, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Imagine that, this one that made them, formed them with his own hands, has been present with them, speaks to them, has been revealing to them the beauty of this world that he has made, has become their friend, and now suddenly he's walking, and what do they do? They hide. (laughs) They go for cover. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, Where are you? (laughs) Now, we learn later that God is (laughs) all-knowing, all-powerful. He knows where they are. (laughs) The problem is, is they didn't know the answer to that question. They didn't know. Where are you? He answers this. He replied, uh, I, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. They're afraid. Their only response to God in this moment was, I don't know. I've done something bad. <laughs> I'm hurting. I'm ashamed. I'm afraid. All this is happening inside of me. So I went and I hid. And it's set up in the beginning of the book of Genesis because actually for the rest of the whole Bible, we are meeting a people who are in hiding. A people who do not know the goodness of God, who do not know what to do with this one life that they've been given. And so they are largely hiding and they're hiding with a whole, us humans have come up with a whole lot of great ways of hiding well, right? We mask up, we cover up, we domineer, we trick, we steal, we lie, we do all these things, they're all ways of hiding. And the whole book of Genesis starts to introduce us to a bunch of hiding people. (laughs) So we begin our year with this question. I think God comes to us and says, where are you? God dreamed up your life. He imagined you. He dreamed it all. He, He took into consideration everything that is human about you. And he invited you to live this one and beautiful life. He knows that you walk away, that you rebel, that you do whatever you like. He actually built into you the capacity to do those things because he loves you. And so we do. (laughs) But then the same God who made all that and has accounted for it all comes to you and says, where are you? Um, I was, um, one of our neighbor girls was over at our house. We have a whole lot of neighbor girls, the same age as our girls in our, in our neighborhood. And one neighbor girl, I won't say who, she came over and, um, and I knew that it was her because I was cleaning up shortly after 
And there were so many candy wrappers hidden behind uh, this, like, cupboard thing. It was like, I realized that she had been regularly going to a candy thing that we have in our guest room, taking a lot of candy, then she found a special spot to hide all this candy, and it was really cute. Like, like I thought it was, like, funny, because it was like me, <laughs> right? Don't tell anybody, but I go to that same candy drawer, right? But I just know better ways of hiding the candy wrappers, right? Or maybe you're a parent and kids are just being too quiet, right? There's nothing worse than kids playing and then suddenly they're quiet. The world stops and you're like, this is bad. <laughs> I must get up from what I am doing because they are hiding something, right? And then, I love this. My, my, my one daughter does not have much shame, but if she's really caught with something, she bursts into these weird tears, right? They're real tears. They're like these fake, ah, tears. And it's just like, no, you just got caught. That's it, right? They are learning right out of the gate how to be human, right? How to hide, how to sneak, how to cover up and put on a show when they do get caught, right? Welcome to it. But it's no big mystery to me. Why? Because I've been there before, right? When it comes time to have the sex talk, they're going to be surprised that I know something about that topic, right? They don't think I know anything about it. That something's a great secret, but I know something about that. Our little humans, they're predictable in their responses. They're beginning to find a way to live in this world. When God found Adam and Eve, I wonder if he asked this too. I wonder if he says, is this how you're going to live your beautiful life, hiding under a tree? <laughs> is this how you're going to live you're in a garden with your creator and you hide? And then Adam, he just turned to Eve and he blamed her. Right out of the gate going, ah, her. She done it. Bad. Beautiful woman, naked and all that stuff. Bad, right? So weird. It sounds too familiar. Hiding and blaming. Welcome to being human in this one and beautiful life. We are exploring something over this next year. I'm going to give you the technical term for it. We're exploring something called Christian anthropology. Technical word. It's the $4 word of the day, right? Anthropology. Being human. There is a whole world of study. And often when you think of anthropology, we're studying like stuff archaeological. Something we dig up throughout the past. Trying to figure out how humans lived maybe a long time ago. But Christian anthropology is actually a whole discipline of Christian studies that says, what are humans... And what is God doing with humans? Why did God make them? What are they for? Why do they go to why do they go hide under trees? What is happening with them? And is there something we can learn about being human before a loving God? And so our big questions are where are we? What are we? And what are we doing anyway? <laughs> so this next three Sundays, we're going to explore them. Where are we? What are we? And what are we doing anyway? And that's going to set up our whole year to explore what it is to explore this question of Christian anthropology. These questions open ourselves to conversations about being human. You see, we each have an anthropology. We each have an idea of what humans are for. If you are married, you wake up every day and have an expectation that the human beside you is going to be doing something. And if they don't, you have some techniques Get them to do that thing better, right? You have an anthropology. How we understand humans and what they are for will shape how we live, work, play, worship, and even encounter Jesus. 
So starting with the question of what a human is for is actually a big step into understanding our faith and understanding how we live together as a church here. Because if you come into Lakeridge with a particular anthropology to say, those people, why aren't they doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing? I've been around those Christians. Did you know that they still do this thing over here? Have you heard? Then you've got to hide. You've got to cover up. You've got to put a stiff upper lip. You better be a darn well better Christian because, well, that's what we do, right? So you see, our anthropology can absolutely make or break a community. And if you live in a community of people, soon your anthropology will determine the way you fight through or learn compassion. It will determine how you meet Jesus. You see, Jesus says stuff about humans that will make absolutely no sense to you if you do not understand the way that Jesus sees the humans that he made. When he says, love your neighbors and your enemies, that will make no sense until you have a Christian anthropology. Turn the other cheek. Be last. Elevate meekness. This is utter nonsense if you have an anthropology that believes certain things about humans. So we're going to need to be stepping in. I'm going to unpack this a lot, a lot more. You might think that this is getting weird, but it is going to be good, I think. David Zoll, he says this, Whether we realize it or not, our personal anthropology, it funds our expectations in our relationships, jobs, marriages, and politics. It's bearing on our worldview, and therefore our happiness cannot be overestimated. For example, some anthropologies lead us to serious disappointments, anger, and cynicism while other anthropologies can be energizing and life-giving. My gift that I want to give to you for this year is a Jesus-centered anthropology so that you can live around humans and maybe even live with yourself in a way that's really liberating and freeing. Okay? That's where we're going to go with it. To unpack this a little bit, I'm going to show you a video. It's a weird, awesome video. Um, I don't even know how to set it up. It is, it's a video of a different kind of marriage ceremony. The kind of marriage ceremony that you have never experienced before. It is an honest marriage ceremony. Not the kind where you say all of those nice things to each other that are probably barely even true. These great promises. And it's a really honest marriage ceremony. So I want you to, to, to watch it. It's, it's kind of funny. If you're married or have been married uh, or looking to be married, look, look, look at this and go, wow, humans getting together, the weirdest thing. And this is, I think, going to be helpful for us. So we're, we're, we're just going to watch this here for a second. The way we get married has changed very little for centuries. But what we expect from marriages has changed beyond recognition. We know so much now about why marriages go wrong. But so little of that knowledge ever makes it into the wedding ceremony itself. That's why we've decided to redesign the marriage ceremony, creating a modern event that's more realistic and more psychological, and therefore better able to help a couple with the joys and sorrows of life together. People still long for ritual and formality. A wedding remains a big deal, and it's good to reflect that in the dignity of the clothes and the setting. Let's listen in on what happens in our designed marriage ceremony. We are gathered today for a solemn event, profoundly hopeful, but infinitely difficult. We're here to celebrate the wedding of Emily and Simon. A good marriage is not one from which troubles are magically absent. 
It is one in which troubles are faced with insight and generosity. There are a series of rituals in the wedding ceremony. Things kick off with what's called the ritual of humility. Humility is probably the most important emotion for the success of a relationship. Humility starts with an ample, accurate and sorrowful recognition of all one's failings. It is filled with apology and modesty. It doesn't pretend that flaws are charming quirks or excusable oddities. It contains an open admission that we wish we were different and better. Simon, do you admit that you're a failed, broken human being? Not in every way, but in some ways so serious that you will at points be a grave burden to Emily. Yes, I admit I am failed and broken. Before coming here today, freely and openly and after careful reflection, you have listed your failings as you recognize them. You've listed them in this book. This is your book of imperfections. Would you now, before me, your partner and your guest, read some of what you have stated in your own words? I acknowledge that I'm not good at communicating my feelings maturely. I won't say what's bothering me, but instead sulk and expect you to read my mind and get furious at you when you can't. I can be quite self-involved. I tend to assume that if you're upset, it's something about me. I get jealous even over small incidents and become petty and hateful instead of showing that I'm afraid of losing you. Both partners admit to their multiple faults. Self-righteousness is, after all, the great enemy of love. Neither of us is fully sane or healthy. We are committed to treating each other as broken people with enormous kindness and imagination when we can manage it. There is nothing odd about this couple beyond the ordinary oddness that is everyone's lot. They've merely put into words the errors and failings of which we are all continuously guilty. We are all broken. We have all been idiots and will be idiots again. We are all difficult to live with. We sulk and get angry. Blame others for our mistakes. Next comes what we call the ritual of charity. Charity is at the heart of love. Charity means finding the least alarming, least panicked view of why the other is acting as they are. It sees the fear behind the aggression. It sees the loneliness at the root of a sulk. It recognizes how shame can make a person defiant and how a hidden worry can unleash excessive harshness. Will you now exchange the ritual gifts of charity? The couple are exchanging photographs of one another from childhood. We naturally act towards a child with a spirit of love we often find it hard to adopt towards adults. This exchange of childhood images symbolizes a commitment to treat one another with the kindness one wouldn't hesitate to show a child but so often refuse grown-ups. I will, I will place this child version of you at the, at the center of my love. I will, I will try, try to see your faults as a consequence of troubles in your past. I will, I will look, look after the broken child within you. 
Lastly comes the exchange of rings and the spousal vow. Knowing all this, fearing all this, hoping all this, will you, in front of us all, vow to wed each other? Will you agree to share your lives with all the restraint and sorrow that will be involved, as well as the joy and the kindness and the friendship? We, we do. do. I now declare you married. <laughs> I think that I think I'm going to try to integrate that into my next marriage that I that I do for 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 someone, eh? What do you think about putting humanity on display at a wedding like 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 that? What what did you think when you saw that? Was that was that strangely depressing and hopeful at the same time, right? It kind of did this weird upturning thing. It was it's really honest about something. That's, that we all know to be pretty true if you've been in a relationship, and yet kind of liberating too, that you could marry somebody that would actually maybe treat you in that way. It's, there's a lot going on there. And it's because what it's doing is it is, instead of feeling like this is a wedding gone wrong, it may feel refreshing. Marriage is not found on the belief that, these, that two people are radiant and perfect. <laughs> But yeah, we try to package it like that, right? Let's get humans at their highest peak elevated form, marry them there, and then throw it all to, heaven knows, daily routines of life after that, right? What an upside down way. What an upside down way. Flawed people trying to figure it out. What we think humans are and can do will change the way we live. You see, one with high expectations also comes with these really high disappointments. But one with grace and mercy and compassion, ultimately love, friendship, and connection, that's another way. And that comes from being really honest about what a human is. One fuels cynicism, anger, and resentment. The other, hope. One is called a high anthropology, which is that we just view like two wed people who are perfect and untouchable. And then we apply that to everybody we meet. You should just be doing better, Damien. I know you have a business, but if you could just put in an extra few more hours and watch a YouTube video, your business will be better. And I'm going to hold you to it because you have a family to feed, okay? Because I hold myself to those standards, right? I suddenly am holding him to things of a high anthropology, and I'm holding myself to it too. And then in the end, our relationship will start to break down because <laughs> he has to hide, pretend his business is doing well. 
and I have to, I have to keep my judgmentalism up. This is what high anthropology does. But a low anthropology, uh, sorry, a high anthropology needs Jesus is kind of on the side. Jesus is just there to help you, Damien. You should just turn to Jesus. We'll add that to it too, you know. Keep a good business and keep Jesus at the center, right? But a low anthropology changes things. I think this is where Jesus shows us that people are hidden under the trees. <laughs> they don't know where they are. And we can show them grace. We can show them mercy. We can say, man, humans are funny things. We try to start businesses. We try to raise families. We try to gather here. They, this is remarkable, and they deserve compassion and mercy and grace. Because guess what? We have a high view of Jesus. Jesus, the higher we view Jesus, the more we can view humans in a very authentic way. Kind of like in this wedding, right? Although Jesus wasn't mentioned in this wedding, I think it's a very Jesus-y wedding, right? Say, man, Jesus is so central to us that we can be really honest about what we're getting into here, right? It's only because of Jesus that I can look at you and meet you at this level. Norman Wiersbe, he writes that from the start, Christians have believed that people should look to Jesus to discover what it means to be authentically human. So we are going to take time. We're going to look at Jesus to make sense of what it is to be authentically human. We think he knows a way of showing us how to treat each other. And Jesus, when he shows compassion and mercy, or when he walks with his disciples, when he pulls them up out of sinking in the water, he's saying something about what a human is, and he's saying something about what he's able to do in the life of a human. And he shows tremendous grace and mercy, and people change at his hands. So we're all given a life to live. We're all given this one and beautiful life. A human life and a chance to set our path. And God asks, where are you? So where are you today? Where are you? We start here because we need some sense of knowing that we have set up a view of ourselves and others that has us sometimes stuck, lonely, afraid, mad, bitter. All these things emerge in us and they are just merely a sign that we've been holding a view of what a human is and what Jesus is. And we may find ourselves that freedom is close by in the person of Jesus this year. So Paul says to Timothy, this young leader of a church, he writes him a letter and he's giving him instructions. He's saying, when you have all these people gathered around, here's something really important that you need to let them know. He says, teach them to take hold of the life that is truly life. This is Paul's advice to a young pastor. Teach them to take hold of the life that is truly life. We have a friend in Jesus. Sometimes we do not know where we are, but in Jesus, from underneath the trees, we can say, I'm here. I don't even know where here is, but I'm here. I'm an idiot. We're all idiots. And Jesus goes, oh, I know. You're hiding. You're buck naked. I know. But I love you. You just have to yell out here. And Jesus finds us. So let's rediscover where we are, whose we are, and that we and what we are doing here anyway. We're not lost, in fact, but we're found in him. Amen? Amen. Please stand with me. We have at the back these uh, photographs by this uh, artist. Uh, and, uh, and I put some questions. I wrote these questions alongside. And so I hope before you go that you just have a chance to go and just, just take a look at those questions and ask some kind of interesting questions along with them. And I hope that it helps us kind of discover that we have this one and beautiful life 
and that we have a way of living as humans before a loving God who finds us wherever we are. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. You're not lost. You're found. Just say here. I'm over here. Amen? Amen. Have a great week, everyone.